With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The volume. Just a reminder that you can catch me recording this podcast live on AMP. AMP is the new live radio app that lets you call in and chat with me in person while I'm recording. Get the app on Apple's App Store and make sure you follow me at Chris Mannix to get notified when I go live. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. Glad you could join me this week because we have a great show lined up for you. I mean, a great show. Mauricio Suleiman, the WBC president, uh, he is someone that I have poked at a lot over the last few years for some decisions that the WBC has made. He joins me for what was right around a 45, 50 minute conversation where we addressed everything. You know, Jamal Charlo's. Hold on the WBC title, Tyson Fury's fight with Francis Ngannou, women's boxing issues. We ran the gamut. Mauricio was clear before the interview started that nothing was off limits. So we covered all the bases on that one. Terrific conversation with Mauricio Suleiman. A little bit later, George Cambosis, the former unified lightweight champion. He is back on the comeback trail this Saturday facing Maxi Hughes. That's a fight you can watch live on ESPN. Talk to George about... His loss to Devin Haney, how he kind of reacted to that. What can we expect to see from him in this next chapter of his career? Is that hunger still there after making all that money for the Devin Haney fights? Uh, Good talk with George Cambosis a little bit later in the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. All right, well, let's do it. Here's my conversation with Mauricio Suleiman. All right, Mauricio, I just want to reiterate at the top of this show that I do appreciate uh, you coming on and talking to me. I I can be hard on the sanctioning bodies, Mauricio, both in print and on DAZN. So I do appreciate and respect you uh, coming on and and verbally sparring with me a little bit because I think we might get into it here a little bit, Mauricio. Absolutely. Uh, My pleasure. And uh, we're absolutely open to any topic of discussion and uh, this is a great opportunity to clarify many things 
that could be uh, misinterpreted, misunderstood, or to rectify uh, when we commit mistakes. All right, so let's jump right into it then. Uh, Jermall Charlo, he is still the WBC middleweight champion. He has not fought now in more than two years. He recently had to withdraw from a planned fight with Canelo Alvarez because of some personal issues that he's been dealing with. As of right now, there are no plans for Jamal Charlo to fight in the foreseeable future. Why is Jamal Charlo still the WBC middleweight champion? Uh, WBC takes every single case separately. Uh, we, administer, we administer every single situation. And uh, we have been very close to Jamal Charlo's case. First, he had an injury when he was going to fight Suleki. That was a hand injury. Eventually, uh, he has been involved in some mental wellness uh, situations, mental health. And uh, the WBC has looked into this matter. We addressed it by ordering a interim championship with Carlos Adames becoming interim champion. And we have been supporting uh, Charlo's situation and we will continue to support him. I am close in communications with him and his brother. And uh, I believe he will be fighting in the near future and resume his career. So in summary, in summary, we simply will be always with our champion, with our boxers, especially in the bad times. Okay, I, I can respect that because, you know, it's very clear from what I've been told and what you obviously know that Jamal Charlo is going through some issues in his personal life. But you seem, Mauricio, to have a mechanism in place to deal with a situation like this. You've used the champion in recess, recess designation a lot over the years. A few recent examples I can come up with are when Alexander Usyk moved up to heavyweight, you used it on him, called him champion in recess for a while. You used it on Devin Haney when Devin Haney was injured, couldn't fight. You then reversed that ruling and reinstated him without Haney actually fighting for his belt again. Currently, Oscar Rivas is the Bridgerweight champion in recess, a designation the WBC gave Rivas until he, quote, confirms his decision about his boxing future. Why should Jamal Charlo not be held to this same standard? Well, as I said, we deal every single case separately. Usyk uh, informed the WBC his intentions to compete in heavyweight. So we gave him uh, that uh, option. It was imminent. He was not going to fight. So he was going to go into the heavyweight. So that's what we did with Usyk. Uh, Rivas had a detached retina. He has to retire from boxing, very unfortunately. We gave him... Uh, the opportunity to be able, if he wanted to return, but that is not going to be the case. And the other one, Haney, as you can see, we put him in champion recess, then put him back as champion. Every single case is dealt differently. I have been in talks with Charlo of uh, him fighting in the during this year and, and in the near future. So we're going to still wait and see when he's going to come back we did address the situation having Adames as interim champion. He just fought a week ago against Williams. So there is activity in the division. 
Okay, so you mentioned Carlos Adamas, and since Jamal Charlo fought back in 2021, Adamas has fought four times. He won the interim title, as you mentioned, two fights ago, defended it in his last fight against Julian Williams. How is this action fair to Carlos Adamas? Well, Carlos Adamas is making good money. He just fought a week ago, and he's very happy being the WBC interim champion. I think he would disagree. He wants to be full champion. I just talked to him today. You you said he, then he's happy. He's fine. He's happy. He's appreciative of the WBC. And he, he uh, understands that we're supporting a human being in Charlo. If things change with Charlo, if it, if it comes different, we will take a, a, a decision. But at this time, I am convinced he will be fighting soon. And Adamis is not being disrespected in any way. And he's happy with it. Should Charlo's next fight be against Carlos Adamas? It could be. Um, as I said, uh, I am uh, in communication with them. Could be Adamas or could be just a comeback fight, defending his title. And then we order uh, the fight between the interim champion and the champion. So my theory, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but Jamal Charlo is the WBC middleweight champion. Canelo Alvarez is the WBC super middleweight champion. My theory is that the WBC has wanted all along, if those two were going to fight, which has been in talks for well over a year now, that they would want the WBC 160-pound champion versus the 168-pound champion. And that's why Jamal Charlo still has his title. No, not necessarily. Charlo uh, wanted to fight Canelo four years ago when Charlo was the interim middleweight champion. And he waited uh, for that opportunity. Eventually, uh, that fight didn't materialize. So Charlo is a fighter that has been waiting a long time for a big fight. This situation of Charlo right now is exclusively of a WBC support to his personal situation. He can fight Canelo even without being the champion. It's a big fight, but... uh, This is much more before the Canelo uh, possible fight was in the scenario. All right, so let's move on. Um, Judging is a uh, hot topic in boxing way too often. Do you think that bad judging is a serious problem in boxing? It is a very serious problem. Um, I am uh, diligently working with the WBC Ring Officials Committee uh, into many different aspects. Uh, there are a few uh, problems that we can certainly look and understand as a root of a problem. One is uh, the way ring officials are appointed to the fights. Uh, the WBC uh, appoints the ring officials in most WBC title fights Uh, But when it comes to the United States uh, and other few countries, then the local boxing commission is the one in charge. And not every time we can agree on the panel officiating the fight. But uh, there is uh, other situations in boxing that we are concerned regarding officiating. Uh, The system of a 10-point most system is now somehow misunderstood even by the judges. If you have a 10-point most system, 
and 95% of the rounds are scored 10-9, then we have an issue. Uh, there's a, especially in the first two, three rounds, there are many times that there's very little action. Uh, you can see a fighter win a round by just landing one or two jabs or just a very little uh, activity, and he gets 10-9. And then you can see later, maybe next round or a couple of rounds later, big action, big blows being landed by the other fighter, and he wins around 10-9. Most commissions do not allow 10-10, even though we encourage our judges to score 10-10 when there's a very close round. When you cannot pick a winner, it should be a 10-10. And also, they don't encourage or allow 10-8 without a knockdown. So there's many rounds where you see a great damage and things happening that are really very different from a very slow round, and they're still scored 10-9. Um, that's one of the things. We have uh, remote scoring. We have found this uh, that is very helpful to monitor the activity of the judges, serves as a training and an evaluation tool. And we have found that the more judges score a fight, then the less chances of a bad score or a bad decision. We would like to implement for the big, important fights, five judges to score a, a fight. Um, we have the open scoring uh, rule around the world. But again, USA and the UK, they do not allow it. Open scoring means we announce the official scores after the fourth and after the eighth round. Do you think that's a good idea? Do you think that because in my mind, open scoring, you want fighters to at least think that a fight is competitive because if it's open scoring, it can change the way the second half of the fight plays out. Well, we have found this to be a very, very good uh, rule and tool. Uh, we do it, as I said, in most countries of the world. It gives transparency, which is much needed in, in our sport. But most importantly, it gives uh, the corners the opportunity to see what the judges are scoring. How many fights we have seen that the fighters at the end of the fight said, oh, I, I, I thought I was winning. Uh, I just uh, let the last two rounds just go like that. There's, if, if you give the opportunity to adjust the, the strategy or the action, the plan of action, then at least you give the fighters and their corners an opportunity to adjust when they are not going the way they thought in the eyes of the judges. Okay, so you mentioned bringing up a specific example of bad judging. I think that there are there should be more consequences or any consequences for poor judging. Uh, and I want to bring up a specific example uh, that relates to the WBC. It was a couple of weeks ago when Marlon Esparza faced Gabriela Alaniz for three titles, including the WBC version of the 112-pound belt. Esparza won a unanimous decision, which was fine. It was a not, competitive not fight. It was... Well, uh, Majority. Oh, majority decision. Two, you're right. Two rounds to two, two judges had it first. Bars one judge at least a jump at a draw. Um, one judge, though, Javier Alvarez, had the fight a blowout, scoring 99 to 91. This is Mauricio, the same Javier Alvarez 
who had a very strange scorecard in the Stanionis Butaya fight uh, a year and a half ago, uh, and had an outrageous one, I thought, in the MJ Akhmedaliev Marlon Topalis fight, which was for two versions of the 122 pound title. That's three bad scorecards in three championship fights over the last year and a half. So my question to you is, do you believe Javier Alvarez should judge any further WBC fights? You know, uh, he was appointed by the local boxing commission. We have that fight right now under review by the WBC uh, ring officials uh, committee. We agreed also with the WBO to do a review of this fight uh, because there's a strong complaint from, from the Argentinian fighter who lost her title, and we are addressing it. But as I said, it's a situation where in many instances the WBC does not have the control of appointing the ring officials. Sometimes we have zero, sometimes we have partial, sometimes we have absolute control. But uh, officiating right now, it's under a, a slump. Uh, so many fights, if you look at the last two, three months, so many fights have gone that one judge gives it to one fighter, the other judge gives it to the other fighter, or close fights like this one are very wide scores. So something is happening, and we have to do something. We have to really uh, protect and up the activity because there is something happening and it's very concerning. I think one of the bigger concerns is that for the most part, I say a large percentage of judges are older. I sit ringside for a lot of these fights. When I look at the ring apron, I see a lot of mostly older men that are judging a lot of these fights. And I don't know if there should be an age maximum or an age limit for how how old you can be to judge fights, but I see very few quality young judges in the pipeline, Mauricio. Not to say there aren't any, but I think that is a major problem in boxing. How do you address that? Well, first, uh, I think it's in inconstitutional or not lawful to put age as a parameter. In England, I believe you, you cannot judge if you are... 60 or 65 so some places do have age as a limit and you cannot be a judge or a referee over a, a specific age um there is absolutely uh i believe qualified officials but they don't get the opportunity there are uh you know many times uh, promoters or managers or boxing camps have a say in the process of vetoing uh, who they are requested to be officiating a fight. But how can you get to the major leagues if you don't get the opportunity to play in the minor leagues? How can you get to be a, a good official if you don't get that opportunity? I have, a, and I, I would love to get you involved in a process where we can look at officials and see how many because uh, we do have a, a huge list of ring officials from all over the world. But uh, there's a tendency that uh, a very few limited names are being considered for many big, important fights. So it's a, it's a problem, and we are addressing it. Uh, we are not happy with it. That's, that, that's a reality. 
I think, look, I, I can appreciate that. I, I go back to the example of a Javier Alvarez. And I mean, it, what if I, what, what happens if I see him or anybody sees him in a W, in a fight where the WBC has some control over who the officials are? Because that tells me that there aren't any consequences for bad scorecards. No, we do have consequences. And uh, we have a case of Stephen Blair uh, last year. Uh, and it was public suspension and uh, he took it like a man and he continued growing and continued to to uh, go through the process of uh, education and certification and training and now he has his back and got activity so we do have consequences we have every single uh, event that is officiated there is a a a, um, I'm sorry for my English. It's okay. A grade, a grade provided uh, on the performance of each official. There is feedback to the officials. We go back and forth and say, well, um, maybe you in this as for the referees, this and that, and for the judges as well. So we do have a solid ring ring officials committee, but we are limited in the in the activity that we can do in many instances. Let's talk about the fight that Canelo Alvarez just had down in Mexico against John Ryder. Uh, and I want to talk about the undercard because a couple of things happened on that undercard that were very difficult to understand. Uh, you had Stevie Spark against Gabriel Valenzuela, who is a local fighter uh, from Guadalajara. And Mauricio, I had the official sheet in front of me uh, that showed three neutral judges and when the official judges were read that two of them had been replaced by local judges uh, and that those two judges ruled against stevie spark and stevie spark said that shouldn't have happened eddie hearn the promoter of the event said that shouldn't have happened do you have any explanation for what happened that night between stevie spark and gabriel valenzuela yes i'm very familiar because we were heavily involved in that event and uh that fight was going to be a WBA international title. Uh, we helped the local boxing commission in many things during the process. And I know there was a, a because between Matchroom and uh, the promoter, local promoters and the boxing commission, we personally intervened to make sure that what they were asking the commission was uh, addressing. So that fight had in fact, uh, a neutral panel. I, I know from, from personal witness because I was there. I have no idea what happened uh, in ringside and, and I believe it was at the end not a WBA fight and how they substituted, I have no idea. And I talked to uh, Sean Palmer, I believe, after, after a couple of days and we tried to help them understand what had happened with the local commission. So you're saying you had no involvement with the judges being switched at the last minute? Oh, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. No, it was it was not a WBC fight, and it was not anything that we had intervention with. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you about two of the uh, innovations you've had over the last five or six years. Uh, the franchise championship and Bridgerweight, the new division that the WBC launched a couple of years ago. Uh, how do you feel about those two ventures now? Do you regret anything about 
the franchise championship or the creation of the Bridgerweight division? Not at all. I'm uh, very, very... Uh, I have always been a very positive uh, when I have to talk about these two cases on the franchise designation. I feel very happy and very proud and I stand strong that what it did in three weight categories was very helpful. The franchise designation is designed to have a fighter out of the... Uh, you know, those elite fighters that make a difference to have some sort of uh, different uh, uh, treatment. Canelo received the franchise designation. He went on and and fought a, a three or, or four fights uh, outside the weight category where he was uh, franchise. And uh, he defeated Kovalev and defeated another fighter. And then he decided to go to super middleweight and his goal was to unify and be undisputed. And so it worked very well. Uh, at this time, he's not franchise, so there's no franchise designation. So when it worked, it did give the opportunity and it worked well. On the lightweight, um, the designation, uh, when uh, Lomachenko petitioned it, it was uh, a, the perfect example on how it helped the lightweight division to boom in many ways. Haney was interim champion when uh, Lomachenko has the designation of franchise, he becomes a champion. So Haney had the opportunity to defend the WBC title. Uh, then the pandemic came. He fought Gamboa, he fought Linares. So those were high-profile fights. We had um, um, uh, Garcia, Ryan Garcia, fought Luke Campbell uh, for the interim title when Haney was injured. We had a series of fights uh, involving very good fighters. So that division became very active. Uh, eventually, Lomachenko lost to Lopez, then Lopez lost to Cambosos, then Haney came on and, and beat Cambosos. So I believe it served the purpose of getting very good fights, very good opportunities to many. And then Haney uh, went the full cycle from interim champion to undisputed champion. And I feel happy about that. Well, let me, let me stop you. Let me ask you this about, about lightweight, because this is where you lose me. This is where we disagree. I think the franchise championship at lightweight created two years of unnecessary chaos. Uh, it led to debates weekly about who the real 135 pound champion debates that got even crazier by the fact that originally you can tell me if I'm wrong, but originally the franchise championship was supposed to be non-transferable. Vasily Lomachenko was not supposed to be able to lose the franchise championship to Teofimo Lopez. Or put it another way, Teofimo Lopez was not supposed to be able to inherit the franchise championship from Vasily Lomachenko. So it created a lot of unnecessary chaos in the division. And yeah, maybe it created a couple of good fights. I, I would argue that Haney Linares would have happened anyway. Haney Jojo Diaz would have happened anyway. 
I think the negatives in with the franchise championship at 135 vastly outweigh the positives. Well, that's your opinion. I respect it. <laughs> uh, when we uh, entered into the the creation of the franchise designation, we changed the rule, uh, that ruling when Teofimo Lopez petitioned the WBC uh, before the fight. He said, if I beat Lomachenko, I want to be WBC champion. That's what he petitioned. The WBC voted in favor of that. And that was the case. So... I take the other road. I, I but saw. you, Mauricio, you had to answer. You did interviews all the time. I saw them on YouTube. I read about them. You had to answer the question all the time about who is the real WBC champion. How is that good for for anything in boxing? I take the other road. I take the 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 fact and the reality that there were many great fights in that period. So I take that. Uh, if people were uh, mad at me and said things. Uh, not that I can repeat here, I take it, but I prefer, and I was very proud to see many great fights happen. And then we proved it, it was a great process for Haney from those two years to grow into the undisputed champion. Okay, but is the franchise championship belt gone forever? We, we don't have any, any petition right now. Maybe there will not be any petitions. Maybe it's gone forever. I don't know yet. Would you want someone to petition? Because, again, like you, you seem to think it's a good thing. If Canelo Alvarez petitioned to be the WBC 168-pound franchise champion, what would you say? Probably. But uh, you, you didn't let me uh, finalize with the super flyweight. Uh, Chocolatito and Estrada... Had a great, great second fight, uh, which was praised as one of the best in, in many, many years, blah, 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 blah. So Estrada petitioned for the franchise, and that was what helped the third fight to take place. In the meantime, it was a great tournament What that was ordered. Very unfortunately, fell because of COVID and other injuries. But Cuadras was to fight Sorum Bisai. And then the two winners were to fight each other. That would have been a sensational. But from there, when uh, Rumbi Sai uh, got uh, pulled out of the fight, Bam Bam Rodriguez emerged. So that was a great thing that happened from there. Then he beat Cuadras, then he knocked out Rumbi Sai. And now we have uh, Oli Estrada as a champion when he defeated uh, Gonzalez. So it served the purpose at that time. I would argue, though, too, I think that... Uh... You argue everything. I do. I do argue everything. <laughs> I would say that the franchise belt didn't really help making the third fight between Chocolatito and Estrada. That they could fight for no belts and people You're would wrong. watch. You are wrong. Oh, come on. You think people care about Estrada Chocolatito fighting for a title? Oh my God. You are so wrong. <laughs> the belts are what makes the interest. Of course. Sometimes. Would Sometimes watch, I agree with you. Yeah, you would you would watch Pittsburgh against Dallas. That's a great rivalry. I'm a Cowboys fan, mm -hmm. and, uh, but if, if there is nothing at stake, eventually that will die out. If there is no championship, if there is no accolade, uh, people uh, and and you, with all due respect, when you claim that fights can take place without belts, it's an insult to the sport. 
Well, wait a minute, Mauricio. Your 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 analogy your analogy doesn't make any sense. It doesn't like you say Pittsburgh, Dallas. If there's nothing at stake, a win is at stake. An opportunity to go on to bigger and better things is at stake. There's no belt on the line between why, Pittsburgh and Dallas. Why 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 are Chocolatito and and uh, Estrada known because of years of working being champions? Of course, you can have fights without belts. But that's only a top of the top that really, without having that process, it is very unfair to say you can have fights without belts uh, to be of interest. Of course, that could happen. And and there were uh, attempts in the 90s, in the 2000s to go that way. And they all failed because boxing is a worldwide sport that needs the boxers from all over the world. Look at the stage, how Manny Pacquiao became Manny Pacquiao. And I can send you a chart. He was a light flyweight. He won the WBC Flyweight uh, Oriental and Pacific Boxing Federation title, which is a WBC affiliated title. Then he won the international title. Then he won the WBC Flyweight. Then he moved up to super... uh, he, He skipped to super bantamweight. So then he came to the United States and won the IBF title in a great opportunity as a late replacement. And that put the eyes of the world. So to say that titles do not mean anything, it's it's something very popular to say. Because No, I look, I think titles mean something to a certain point. I think that Floyd, Floyd Mayweather, after he beat Oscar De La Hoya, I have no idea what titles he fought for, what titles he won. People only cared that Floyd Mayweather was fighting in a significant fight. Canelo Alvarez fighting in September. If he fought for no titles, I don't think it would impact that fight one bit because people watch for Canelo Alvarez. And that's how I feel about Chocolatito and Estrada. If they fight for a fourth time, which may happen at some point in the next year, uh, if there's a title on the line, if there's not a title on the line, I don't think it matters one bit for that fight. It does matter very much. And I can tell you, and you can tell, you can ask TV executives, you can ask sponsors, you can ask promoters, and then you will see if the title has any value or not. I look, We can go round and round on that. We'll move on. I agree, I agree with some of what you're saying there. I think later on, I think it matters a little bit less. You didn't address... Bridgerweight, which oh, yeah. has it has not gained a lot of traction as of yet in terms of big name fighters. How do you feel about how Bridgerweight has gone over the last couple of years? If I, if you allow me to give the explanation, uh, I think it's educating. In 1909, the heavyweight champion of the world weighed 168 pounds. Uh, in in the whole century human beings became bigger and bigger and bigger. That's a natural uh, evolution. So uh, by the 80s, early 90s, the WBC created the, the cruiserweight division because heavyweight began at 175. Identifying the growth of uh, human beings, the cruiserweights came into from 175 to 190, and heavyweight would begin from 190 on. Uh, With this same uh, thought process, uh, 
we have uh, changed from 190 to a 200 because we kept seeing the high volume of fighters that were much bigger in the heavyweight division. So we expanded to 200, the cruiserweight. After doing research and doing data and analysis, the WBC instituted the bridge of weight, which comes in at 200 to 224 pounds to a universe of fighters that are in the heavyweight limit, but are in a very small compared to a 260, 270 Tyson Fury, Joshua, uh, and other huge fight fighters that are there. So since the inception of the uh, bridge weight, we have had uh, WBC world title, silver, international, NABF, and a few other uh, uh, federations. And one thing I can tell you, uh, the fights have been very, very good. Uh, with Oscar Rivas uh, losing the, because of uh, his uh, retina, there was inactivity in the World Championship. But I can tell you, every single fight in the Bridge of Weight has been very competitive, very good. And I have confidence that uh, we will continue to see um, the, the Bridge of Weight continue to emerge. The money is in the heavyweight, and that's a reality. So most fighters would like to fight uh, for the ch uh, heavyweight championship. But now they're learning that the bridge of weight uh, is getting to be uh, a, a place where they can safely and justly compete. Okay. Um, but isn't your argument, you know, isn't your argument diminished by the fact that a the man that has three versions of the heavyweight title could qualify for Bridgerweight. The man that held the WBC title for more than five years, Deontay Wilder, he could qualify for Bridgerweight. You're talking about some giants in boxing, and yes, there are giants in boxing led by Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua, but a lot of heavyweights still fall in that 200 to 230 pound you know, weight limit that Bridgerweight uh, claims to, to operate in. Yes, of course, uh, Wilder is a great exception that he at 214, 218 could knock out uh, huge opponents. And, Usyk uh, too. Yeah, but Usyk, uh, he's much heavier now than 224. And uh, he has not, the power that he had in, in cruiserweight has not been shown in heavyweight at all. But uh, he's a. I oh, he heard Anthony Joshua in that first fight for sure. Almost had him knocked out in the last round. Yeah, but he didn't knock him out. He did <laughs> hurt him, and, and he's a great fighter, great champion. And of course, he's an extraordinary. We're talking the decision for the general uh, population or, or universe of fighters. And uh, I feel confident it's moving along well, takes time. Uh, every single rule that has been implemented takes a long time to mature. Uh, people continue to boo my father years after changing from 15 to 12 rounds. And uh, today is a reality and it has saved many lives and the quality of life of many fighters. A uh, couple things before I let you go. Uh, one area we agree on, figured we'd wrap things up with an area we agree. I know Ty Tyson Fury, 
uh, is going to fight Francis Naganu on October 28th. Tyson, of course, the WBC heavyweight champion. You have gotten some external pressure from people asking you to strip Tyson Fury of his title. You said he will not be stripped, and your reasoning was that he tried to make fights to defend his title against Anthony Joshua, against Alexander Usyk, against Andy Ruiz. Those fights fell apart for various reasons. He just defended it back in December. So I agree with you. I think you're doing the right thing in allowing Tyson Fury to do this event against Francis Nagano. Where where I'm not clear on is why you haven't ordered a fight or a, a, a purse bid of any kind for the next mandatory challenger. I know there was one at one point for Deontay Wilder against Andy Ruiz. It's pretty clear that those two are never going to make a deal. Uh, when can we expect some kind of clarity on who is the mandatory challenger for Tyson Fury? You know, the mandatory challenger is a major uh, topic. Uh, if you do not put the greatest attention into trying to have the best mandatory contender, you will do a disservice to the sport. Uh, we do have a process to selecting uh, through elimination bouts and through uh, a specific final elimination who the best challenger of the division is. And uh, we have tried to do the best job. We have had a few bad mandatory contenders which do a disservice to the sport. The WBC ruled to see Wilder against Ruiz uh, as the final elimination to be the mandatory contender. Um, this has come just a way too long, and I agree with you. Mm -hmm. uh, what has happened has been all this process of fury, uh, trying to do the fights with uh, Usyk, and then the different offers coming from the Middle East uh, to so many different fighters. So it's been very confusing. We are uh, we have a deadline for confirmation if Wilder and Ruiz is going to happen or not. If not, then we will cancel that ruling and produce a new one. Um, women's boxing is growing uh, by the year, it seems like. We're seeing a lot of women uh, headline you know, major shows. We have heard some of the most high-profile women out there call for women's boxing to be fought under three-minute round rules, to have three-minute rounds right now. They are at two. Where do you stand on women's boxing going from three two-minute rounds to three-minute rounds? Uh, the WBC has done thorough research. And uh, at this point, unless there is absolute medical, scientific uh, clearance, we will never allow women to fight three-minute rounds. Um, in, this is medically and scientifically. But if we go to the facts and to the reality, why would you change if women's boxing is so exciting and it's so great at two minutes? It's a different pace. Everybody loves to see women boxing. And I'm certain that the two minutes have a lot to do with it. Um, you don't need three minutes to knock out somebody out. Uh, and just the rationale is uh, on, on medical. Men well, and women... Have yeah, I, sorry, excuse me. I, I would there there are other studies, Mauricio, that say it's not as significant a risk as as the WPC has made it out to be. I've read them, I've seen them. Uh, why 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 are you not why there's why are you not looking at some of these other 
medical opinions that say it's not as big a risk as you think? I don't know what medical opinions you refer to. I'll be happy to look at them. We have annual conventions where all the topics are in the open floor. And we have also a clear opening to address any situation. Nobody has ever put together or put forward a petition with facts and with medical research. Zero. I don't go out shopping and, and trying to find articles, uh, as you mentioned, but uh, no, nothing has ever been put forward to the WBC. What I can tell you is men and women have completely different physiognomy. The neck area has a different uh, structure. The, the um, menstrual period brings a very different uh, situation into the hormones and the woman when they're going through that process. And the ratio for concussion, it's much more higher for women than for men. Uh, we will not be into a popularity contest. Many times we have protect boxers from themselves. Boxers are warriors. They would fight 30 rounds or five minute rounds if they were requested to do so to earn their living. They don't care about the rules. We have to protect them and put the rules for their protection. I would say to, to answer your question, but why does it need to be changed? You know, someone like Amanda Serrano, who is the undisputed champion at 126 and one of the few power punchers in women's boxing. She would say, hey, I just fought in the biggest fight in women's boxing history. If I had an extra minute in that fifth round, I would have knocked out Katie Taylor. Or when I won my first belt at 126, or I believe 130, fighting Heather Hardy, uh, then if I had an extra minute in the first round, I would have knocked him out. The argument for three-minute rounds is it will increase the number of knockouts and therefore grow women's boxing because, as you know, People, whether it's men or women, they love watching knockouts. That's a speculation. And uh, <laughs> they do. People love knockouts. Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a speculation to say she would have won by knockout if there was another minute. We cannot prove that. But why don't we go back to 15 rounds and, and see uh, people who are not human beings in the ring being just put to the limits of human we are for safety, and uh, if women want to fight in a safe uh, platform and a safe control environment, they're welcome in the WBC. All right, last thing for you, uh, and I do appreciate your time. So let's talk about Errol Spence, the unified 147-pound champion, also the WBC title holder at 147 pounds. He's got a huge fight coming up on July 29th against Terrence Crawford. That's the biggest fight of the year. One of the biggest fights we've seen in many years. Uh, Errol Spence was at a press conference recently, last month, and he had this to say about the sanctioning bodies. We get 3% to these, to these organizations. I mean, we got to know where, where this money going to. I mean, a lot of times they get... Man, you got Canelo and um, and Josh and all these guys, you know, making fifty million dollars, and these bills getting three percent of that. Where is it going to? How is it helping the fighters out? What are they doing with it? So, Mauricio, Errol Spence wants to know where the money is going. So, you tell me, where is all this money going? Thank you so much for this question. The WBC 
is a organization, non-profit organization founded 60 years ago. The WBC has 176 countries affiliated. We have 50 employees in Mexico City, uh, direct, and uh, many other indirect employees. We have offices in Los Angeles, in, in um, Albuquerque and Miami, and we have remote offices in other countries. We have uh, a wide variety of committees that do work every single day. Uh, we have uh, a huge expense in the clean boxing program. We have expense in medical research. We have uh, the Jose Suleiman Boxes Fund, the Friendly Hand Foundation, the WBC Cares Program, a variety of uh, uh, social responsibility programs, many different committees. So I did uh, a, a piece about two weeks ago, three weeks ago of, about what the WBC is. Uh, if you are open to giving this more time and more uh, outlet, because we do not have outlets. Uh, what the WBC says is very limited of where it goes because we don't buy the time or we don't have the 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 news uh, openness. But uh, I, I am happy and I responded to Earl Spence. I was sad that he does not know what the WBC is, but because he has been a champion and he has seen what the WBC does. So I feel very happy to have the opportunity to prove what the WBC does. Uh, we are, uh, as I said, non-for-profit. Every single dollar that comes into the WBC goes back to boxing one way or another. And there's thousands of people that you can ask about that. I think what Errol Spence would like to know is, is any money going towards the boxers, specifically when it comes to post-fighting career, medical insurance for when they're fight done fighting, because as you well know, a lot of boxers find themselves in very difficult circumstances, physically, mentally, when their fighting careers are over. Is any of that money going to be earmarked for those specific purposes? Many, 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 many. And uh, many times we don't publicize uh, specific cases because we feel that the honorability of those great champions that fall in hard times would be tarnished. But there's so many fighters that you can ask and see the aid that they have received and they continue to receive. Uh, you know, the, the, the way boxing is a structure is very complicated because there is no league, there is no structure uh, planned uh, for any fighter. They are individual contractors to a promoter. The WBC is not in the business of boxing. We have nothing to do with TV contracts, with gate revenues, with sponsorship, nothing that has to do with the business, only the administrative and the, and the uh, uh, medical side. Um, when a fighter uh, goes into a boxing and does not have good advisors that help them pay the taxes, that help them save in a 401k or save for retirement and the boxes go on and buy a, a uh, Ferrari and crash it and come close to death and buy so many jewelry 
and trips and fun and, and houses and they don't get good advice, that's the biggest problem. We are working hard into getting a financial education for when they, you know, once they become big in money and they come into a bubble and it's very hard to educate them. But if we start early and we have been doing so, uh, you can educate fighters or not, it's not, it is not limited to fighters. NFL has, uh, I believe, three years after they retire, they go to chapter 11, the highest rate. So it's for all athletes and uh, entertainers. But it's a concern for boxing because athletes need to know how to save the money because most of them, they don't know to do anything after they retire from the ring. Uh, Mauricio Suleiman, I do appreciate your time talking to me about this, verbally sparring a little bit about this. Some things we'll never agree on, Mauricio, but I do appreciate you taking the time to uh, to sit down and talk to me. Thank you, Chris. And anytime I'm, I'm open and more than happy to try to give some hooks back to you. And when we come back, my conversation with George Cambosis. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, George Cambosis is the former lightweight champion on Saturday 
he will begin the work to get back to that championship level when he takes on Maxi Hughes. That's a fight you can watch exclusively on ESPN in the U.S. And George is back with me here on the show. George, it's been quite the couple of years for you. Got a big win, took a couple of losses, made, I'm guessing, a whole boatload of money along the way. How are you feeling as you begin this next chapter? Yeah, look, it's uh, it's been a crazy ride these last few years after a long journey to, to even get to, to where we got to. Um, but, you know, it's been good to sit back for a few months, be able to refresh myself, be able to work on certain things and, and aspects of my fight game and, you know, refuel that hunger. You know, I don't think, you know, uh, see if you can, can see uh, how many fighters in today's, you know, day and age have gone and fought, you know, got like Tiffany Lopez and then Devin Haney twice, all within 11 months. It's uh, quite an incredible feature. So and I'm very proud of the, the fights. I'm very proud of the events. I'm, I'm proud of the lessons learned, um, win, lose, or draw. You know, you know me, I'm a warrior, I'm a fighter. So for me, I learn from everything. And, um, you know, I'm very happy to be back. I'm very excited to be headlining uh, my first official top-ranked fight under their banner and uh, live on ESPN. So bring it on. Yeah, you did take the hard road over the last uh, couple of years. You beat Teofimo Lopez, and then you go straight into what was probably the toughest two fights you could possibly make with respect to Vasily Lomachenko. David, Devin Haney uh, was as good as it gets in the 135-pound division. When you look back at that decision to not take kind of a homecoming fight, uh, to take immediately a matchup with Devin Haney, do you have any regrets about the path that you chose? No, definitely not. And, um, you know, the fans can, can can vouch for me, you know, wherever I go here in Vegas or, you know, when I was at the Haney Lomachenko fight, so many fans come up and say, you know what, you're a different kind of warrior. You know, to go straight into the fight, like that fighter guy who was so avoided or fighter, you know, a technician like uh, a possible fight with Lomachenko, you know, not many fighters do that. So I'm very proud of them, them um, you know, them fights and, and what I chose to do when I won the belts. As we know, yes, we could have sat there and, and milked it and, said, look at us, and made a few, you know, easy dollars. But, you know, I always wanted to, to test myself against the best. And is it ego? I don't believe so. I believe it's, um, you know, competitive nature, the kind of fighter that I am. You know, I want to fight the best. And like I said, win, lose, or draw. Who cares about the zero? We get the best fight, fighting the best. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm excited to be back. You know, I, I, I'm proven. I've been in the championship fights. This is uh, another championship fight. And... Um, I'm excited to, to make another statement and show that, hey, you can lose a fight. You know, I've lost to one guy. That's Devin Haney. Um, showcase to the world that, you know, I've learned from these fights. You were sky high after beating Teofimo Lopez. Uh, you calling yourself the emperor. It was all good for you at that point. Uh, your confidence seemed like it was peaking. <laughs> Where is your confidence now after those two losses? Better than ever. It's better than ever because I went 24 rounds with a guy like Devin Haney. I went 12 rounds with a guy like, uh, like uh, TFM Lopez. So I'm better than ever. I'm refreshed. I'm, I'm, I'm hungrier than ever. I don't let nothing else distract me. You know, I know what I want to, to prove in this sport again. I will be world champion with the IBO this Saturday and I will put myself in position for an IBF world title uh, as well. So I just want to keep collecting these belts, collecting that legacy. Yes, you touched on it. There's been a lot of, a lot of money being made, but that money is great for my family and my kids. And yes, I'm a prize fighter and I've earned that money. But for me, what really wakes me up in the morning you know, is the sacrifice, the dedication. I'm away. I'm here in Vegas. I haven't even been to the strip. Um, I'm away in the suburbs in 40 degree heat, putting in the work. I'm on weight right now. And uh, that's my motivation to 
continue building my legacy and showcase that ferocious Cambosis fights any man living and uh, is not afraid of anybody and, and will continue uh, proving himself. Now, tell me a little bit more about that because going into the Lopez fight, I mean, that was your proving ground. You had you know good wins against Lee Selby, Mickey Bay, but you know that was your chance to show the world who George Cambosis is, and that was probably your motivation going into that fight. Has it been difficult to find equal or better motivation since the last couple of losses? No, I got I got better motivation now. You know, my motivation now is is, is thriving because. As much as I got a lot of respect from the boxing world and the boxing fans of, of the route that I took when I became champion, a lot of them think that, ah, he's done after losing to Devin Haney. So I got a point to prove. I know there are a lot of big fights out there for me, and mega fights. So for me, this is a point to prove, to showcase myself. And like I said, it's my first fight with top rank officially. I'm headlining ESPN. I'm here to showcase that. Ferocious is back once again. I've been there. I've been at the top of the mountain. I've proven myself, but I'm here to prove myself again. I've got a great team, and um, you're going to see on Saturday at the corner fight, I've become, become a better fighter for it. And you know, like I've said to many guys, don't uh, you know, judge me on, on my losses to Devin Haney, who, who's a superb fighter, a guy who's very, very avoided, but we chose that route. You know, judge me on my return, and that you will see on Saturday. When you, when you take losses, in your mind, do you need to make changes? You mentioned that you're in Las Vegas doing your training camp there at the top-ranked gym, different climate, of course. Uh, but was was there anything else that changed in your game plan, your preparation, yeah. that you felt needed to be changed after those losses? Yeah, look, I'm back here in the U.S. You know, I made my emphatic rise to, to become champion of the world, uh, doing it in America. Everyone knew about this guy from Australia that was here in the U.S., yeah, he was a sparring partner of Manny, Manny Pacquiao, but he was chasing that, that road from America. wasn't taking the usual road that Aussie fighters do. They had all heard of Cambosis, but they hadn't really seen him yet. So um, I had to go back to that. I've been out here putting great work in Vegas at the uh, City Athletic Gym. And, um, you know, i got a great team, a great corner, a lot of knowledge in my team. I brought, brought in some new coaches as well. And, uh, you know, you're going to see a different ferocious. Still that ferocious fighter, but a guy that has evolved, learnt more and... Uh, continue to become a student of the game, and he's extremely hungry. Um, like we said, we, we respect Maxi Hughes. We're excited for the fight, and we uh, we hope he brings his best because our best is going to be uh, an extraordinary. When you started making preparations and making plans for your next fight after the, the second Haney loss, what, what was kind of going through your mind then? You could have moved up to 140. You could have gone with a different promoter. What were you looking to do, and what are you looking to do now that you're at 135? My goal and my motivation is to become champion of the world again. As we know, yes, it's for the IBA world title right now, but we want one of the big four. I believe the IBA will, will get there as well in a few more years that will become one of the belts as well. Not that we need any more belts, but uh, <laughs> you know, why not add another uh, another beautiful belt? So uh, my motivation is becoming world champion again. And really not for the hardware. I got the hardware sitting at home. It's the legacy. It's the, the, the name, a world champion again. That's my motivation. That's That's the... The reason I'm out here sacrificing so much. I'm away from, you know, my, my beautiful family. I'm away from my kids. I'm away from, you know, the luxuries of, of being an Australian superstar. Um, you know, there's a lot of luxuries out there. So I'm here putting in the work and um, I'm very, very focused. And the way I feel now, I feel better than what I did talking to you, I think, the night before I beat Tiff Lopez. I remember that clearly having a chat with you on your podcast. So um, this is this is a better cambosis and uh, I can't wait. And you... Before that win over Lopez, 
you know, one thing you've mentioned a couple of times, a few times, is you read a lot of Customato, but what Customato yeah. said uh, about Muhammad Ali and 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 landing that big right hand. Uh, have you done any reading heading to this one? And what is kind of that mental assist that you're getting going into this fight? Look, I'm always reading. I'm always learning more and more. Obviously, before the Devon Haney fight, everyone remembers the art of war. So I'm not going to touch on that too much because <laughs> there were a few memes out there. But, you know, you, you learn more. But um, I'm a student of this game. You know, I have listened to, you know, not really sat there and read too many books this time. I have listened to the old timers, you know, the, the coaches that I have with me now. You know, the, the, the guys that come into the gym, we've had, um, you would have seen on Twitter, Mike McCullen, who, who beat one of our greats, uh, Jeff Harding. Just listen to his, you know, stories. Um, you know, Fernando Vargas, the original Ferocious, speaking to him, you know, my, my coaches, um, you know, I've, I've been able to listen to their stories and they've got a lot of knowledge and, you know, I'm a shit of the game. Pick, you know, their brains. And in this time, you know, the, the way that, that fighters are, They'll sit there on social media and, and try to just, you know, see what they can on social media. But I'm old school, like my corner says, and I'll sit there and pick, you know, a fighter's brain, a guy who's been there, you know, a legendary fighter, legendary trainer, um, learn as much as I can. We had a great meeting with Bob Barrowman. We are there picking his brain and, and learning different things. So uh, uh, for me, I, I, lo I love to learn. Is there a piece of advice that you've gotten over the last few weeks and months, whether it's from Mike McCallum or Fernando Vargas or Bob Arum, that, that sticks with you now? Uh, there's a good one from my lead coach, Don House, who uh, he's been around a long time, trained many champions, and uh, he hasn't seen someone like Ferocious, and that's come from his own, uh, own mouth. So, uh, like he says, I'm old school. And excuse my French, but uh, you got a greedy motherfucker coming in this Saturday, and that's... Uh, <laughs> Got nothing to do with money. That's that's something that that's going to be shown in the ring. I'm I'm too good to let guys off the hook. I've got too much speed to let guys off the hook. And every single opening, these guys are going to pay for it. So you've got Maxi Hughes in front of you on Saturday. He's also got a lot of the line in this fight. It's as big a fight for him as it is for you. What kind of fight are you expecting from him? Yeah, look, Max is a good fighter. That's the reason we chose him. He's, he's a respectable fighter. He's a guy from the UK. He's done it the hard road as well. He's picked up a, a, a good string of, of wins. Not massive wins, but, but a good string that he's been going on. And um, we expect the best version of Maxi Hughes. That's where we have prepared extremely well. And uh, we can't wait you know, to, to step in there and show him the, the levels that, that we are above. But um, you know, there's no disrespect there. We're just excited for a great fight. I know you're not looking past Maxi Hughes, but in the future, a rematch that interests you more, is it Teofimo Lopez or Devin Haney? Uh, look, obviously, it's always, you know, bittersweet, you know, winning the belts and losing the belts to a guy like Devin Haney. So, obviously, that is always there, but, I th like, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Me and Devin have become quite quite good friends, so, you know, he's going to move up, and I've got business to handle at 135. Again, the Lopez fight is always, you know, uh, an interest of mine. You know, I beat him, beat him very well that night. You were there commentating. And then we, we saw a string of excuses that came out of his mouth. So um, there's always like to shut him up again. Um, but for me, there's another guy out there, which uh, he signed with top rank. as a guy that we've been meaning to for many times. But um, for now, my main focus is Maxi Hughes. Once his fight's done, then uh, obviously the world can start getting excited about something else. But for now, Maxi Hughes, that's the only person I, uh, I have on my mind. It has, I've noticed it has bothered you, at least on social media, that Lopez has tried to diminish your win, basically pointing out that he was not physically there 
for that fight? How much has that bothered you over the last couple of years? It hasn't really bothered me. I, I find it quite funny. I just come in and out on Twitter. I love Twitter. It's uh, it's quite <laughs> you know fascinating. Um, I don't really you know show too much emotions. I come in, say a few words, then get out and, and go focus on on other things. Um, look, the fans saw it. They continually comment and have a laugh about it. So at the end of the day, he can come up with whatever he wants. Uh, you were there ringside. You saw the beating he took. So he done a beautiful backflip after the fight too. So um, like I said to him, can you teach me how to do that? And he was, yeah, I'll teach you. So, um, you know, whatever illnesses, whatever bullshit comes out of his mouth, that's, that's fine. Um, I'm happy for him. You know, he's, he's he got a, picked up a good win and uh, we'll see what happens in the future. Well, no question. You got a clean win that night against Teofimo. We'll see what happens this Saturday against yes. Maxi Hughes live on ESPN. George, good to see you back, man. And uh, good luck on Saturday. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you so much. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Mauricio Suleiman and George Cambosis for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.